0: Mr. Justin Wren. Hey brother. Good to see you again. It's great to see you. Yeah, last time we spoke, uh, you were sitting over there and now I'm in your home. Yes. Very exciting way to connect the dots of temporal space. Um, When was that? That was, uh, was it a year? Probably. Yeah. Actually, it was probably around November. Okay. November of last year, so not even a year yet. Yeah, I'm just trying to think, like, where you were at. I'm remembering that and where you're at now. Mm. And you're back in training, right? Yes. Yeah? Hopefully How's going to-, to
1: fight first quarter of 2022.
0: So I was, I was talking about a fight in
1: Japan, New Year's Eve, December 31st, but Amy's uh, niece is getting married on New, New Year's Eve. You changed Eve. your whole fight for a wedding? May, okay, so there's several factors. Yeah. It's the wedding, which is a great way to say... Uh, that but also, there is it's normally a fight in front of 100,000 people live, normally, normally, yeah, okay. But with COVID, (laughs) it's probably going to be an empty arena or very few people. And so, thinking about that, you know, it's my childhood dream to fight at the Saitama Super Arena in Tokyo, Japan, New Year's Eve, in front of 100,000 people, (laughs) and that would be epic. But the Japanese crowd is already really quiet, and I love that about them. It's like a tennis match, but it's, but it's like MMA. Even more quiet than a tennis match. It's it's there's little golf claps and oohs and ahs if someone defends <gasps> oh, something. Yeah, oh. yeah. But the crowd never really erupts until the finish of the fight. Wow. And so it's they really not they're the most knowledgeable fan base I think in the world for mixed martial arts. They're not yelling ringside. You know, ten beers ends and rip his head off. Yeah. It's like they actually know whenever someone is setting up. A submission and when someone defends one and whenever someone is they're studying it while they're watching it and so the appreciation there i've always wanted to fight wow there. and and their fighters especially heavyweight fighters there's a lot of times like a comic book comes out for them before their fight or right after do you have a comic book no i don't i've never fought in japan it's always been a oh. dream since i was i think 15 years old i wrote it down on my goals list as a kid Number one was fight at the Saitama Super Arena. Number two was fight in the UFC. Number three was be a national champion wrestler. And I got to do
0: two and three, but I haven't done one yet. So That's I one thought, of the main three. Yeah. So you didn't do it because of a wedding? Uh, that and <laughs> I think that um,
1: timing-wise for me, I'll be more prepared first quarter of the year because I've had this podcast release that I'm doing. And then I also just I want a packed uh, arena. Not just I want that. You want the full that, dream. Yeah. Yeah, if I have to wait a year for it and I'm more prepared, I'd yeah. rather I'd rather wait another year than go there and not be able to interact with the fans, not be able to 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 bring a full uh, camp or or you know my coaches, fi- friends, family, stuff like that. I'd I'd rather it be open. So I you know waiting a year isn't. Does so you're are
0: bad. you in you're full like for me like if in some ways or like when you know you're doing to do an ayahuasca journey or you know there's a big. Uh, event coming up it's sort of like that lit diffuse in that moment it's yeah. in your mind mm-hmm. from then on mm-hmm. is it hard for you even though now it might be a bit away right theoretically but you know like can you ever like feel like you can drop the uh momentum or is it always in your back of your mind like i don't know if i should have that third beer or because uh, <laughs> like i'm i got i'm on this path yeah of training that's sort of all-encompassing don't know if you've ever heard of this but the
1: the near look far vision i had a board member um who's no longer on our board because he's he's had some medical conditions but his name's joel swinehart he's an incredible man uh has has done a lot in his career but he always talked about fight for the freehat and getting the right board members that are almost like an armada he would use these military kind of terminologies where he's like you want your uh battleship and you want your Uh, I don't know, the one that the planes land on and can take off. You want your submarine. You want all these things. They always tell me like near look, far vision. He says, if you take a penny and you put it in front of your eye, that's that's the near look. Like you're focused on that, but you also got to have the far vision where you can like move that and see where you're headed. And so the near look for me was I've got to fight this New Year's Eve in Japan. So Amy and I were talking about how we're going to make it work. Uh she was like, well, the wedding's actually on the 1st. And so <laughs> theoretically, with the timing, I could fight and just get on a plane and come back and potentially make it. But From Japan any, to here? Yeah, I think, right? Isn't uh, that uh, – Which was the time ahead of us? us? I think they're ahead of us. They're they're ahead, I believe, yeah. yeah the so we're talking about how can just... we find a midnight flight or a oh, red, red eye pravi, or something have like that. You to go private, <laughs> <baby. laughs> <laughs> So it, it just didn't seem like it was in the cards. So the far vision is – and this is what my coaches said too, which is – we know you as an athlete want to circle a date on the calendar and say, this is when I'm doing it. So you can put everything in your life around that. But with a podcast release, with me getting healthy again, with it having being two years off since I fought because of shoulder surgery, things like that, um, they're like, why don't you just feel healthy? Why don't you get in the routine here in Austin, feel great at. On it gym with my strength conditioning, which has never really been that big of a focus of mine.
0: Strength it's, conditioning?
1: Yeah. Strength like uh weight training. It's normally been in kettlebells, and that's why I really like on because it's more functional. Mm-hmm. I worked out there movement. once. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun.
0: Yeah, it's it, a it cool gym, like you're saying, it's more movement-based, functional-based. Yeah. And I used to have strength conditioning coaches that would think, and these are guys
1: at the highest level. That because I'm a fighter, they've got to beat me down in the gym so that I'll be ready and yeah. harder, tougher fight time. But looking at it now as I progressed in age and in experience, it's like I don't want to break my body down before I get into a fight. I want to build it back up, especially in strength and conditioning. I'm gonna break my body down in sparring. Mm. I'm gonna break my body down in wrestling, jiu-jitsu, boxing, kickboxing, all of it. So whenever I go back into like on it, yes, I want to push myself. But I also want to protect myself and build a great foundation. So the theory was from Rafael Lovato Jr., an undefeated MMA world champion, who also is like 12-time world medalist in jiu-jitsu. Uh, my, my coaches down here, they're like, just look good, feel good. Look good? That's what they said. That's the first good. thing. And look good. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if you look apart, part, <laughs> it'll work. No, if you if if they say that I'm looking good gotcha. and I know that I'm feeling good, Yeah. that it's all going to come together. And if I just feel that way for two or three months, then they'll say to me, or I'll say to them, like, Hey, I'm ready. Let's do this. So that's why I've kind of pushed it back to, I'm still doing it. Right. I'm saying first quarter of next year, but really I just
0: need to feel healthy, you know, be fight ready. So it's a little more like you're saying looser in a sense. You don't want it to be like, Every day, every moment, it's like okay. This fight now is one day closer, one day closer, one hour closer. It's more just like no. It's about a mindset of overall preparedness that has something to do with like playing life, live life too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's been a real shift for me,
1: and I I hope it's a symbol of or sign that I'm maturing. Where uh, you know I'm I'm getting older. I'm 34 years old, but heavyweights normally step into their prime around 32 to 40, 42. Really. Yeah, the little guys, um, or the smaller weight classes, like 125, 135, 145, it's kind of like the NFL, the the running backs, they normally don't have the longer careers. It's kind of the heavier guys that can, like, be older and more mature. So the little guy's speed goes faster, right? That starts to disappear quicker. But at heavyweight, it's more about strength, experience. At lighter weights, it's about endurance, speed, um, and they, they're like Energizer bunnies. you can. Heavyweight's about wisdom, yeah, it sounds like. It's, it, yeah, it actually kind of is because our shots have more consequences. Uh, probably eight out of ten fights at heavyweight are a finish, whether it's a knockout or a submission. And then I think that's the statistics that the lightweights, flyweights, those Energizer bunnies, they can hit each other in the head, elbow, knee, and kick. And a lot of times those guys can handle it for three rounds, five rounds, uh, because it's a lower
0: statistic Jeez, of finish man. rates. One, two, three out of ten fights so get finished. You uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're yeah. undefeated, right? Not undefeated. Was it? Fifteen and two. Fifteen and two. Actually, yeah. yeah. actually helps me the point I was gonna. A question is yeah. gonna ask. Actually, he's like, I feel like that's better because if someone defines anything as like undefeated then that's like this super black and white mm. thing that you have to like work against as opposed to like it's a little of this a little of that I mean, 15-2 is amazing Thanks. you know amazing yeah. and i would be like negative 2 or i would be like you know, i would be <laughs> negative 2 I would not make it in the ring yeah. i would be the guy like it's a negative if you didn't even make it into the fight yeah. you just bailed before yeah. you stepped in the ring you you actually see that at the amateur level where it's they really they see hard. they see the person in the ring they're like you know you really
1: what don't show up. What happened? My, my, my third yeah. fight. My third fight. Now, this was back in the day, kind of still in when the sport was being pioneered. Um, well, I mean, it started in 93, but I started fighting in 2006 professionally. I was 19 years old. And the third fight, I was in Iowa. I was at Iowa State University wrestling. And I was just attending. I had I had two pro fights, but I was in the crowd. I was in dress shoes, a button down shirt. I was in the crowd, what? and one of the opponents didn't show up to fight. Come
0: on, and uh, they're like, yeah. you want to do it, this?" Well, the, the the promoter got in there. It's a to nightmare apologize. for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like someone's like you. <laughs> <laughs> no, they didn't point me out.
1: I was actually I was 19 years old, and I was on my third beer, just thinking I was attending and watching. It's <laughs> even fights. worse because then yeah.
0: you're like, "I can do this." Yeah, like, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, they didn't know I was on my third beer, but I was. Uh, there, and the opponent got in, the promoter apologized, said that his opponent showed up to weigh agreed to the fight eight or ten weeks earlier, uh, with, had a full fight camp, showed up at weigh-ins, did the face-off. Night of the fight, he just no-showed. Weird. And so, they're having a scramble, because this is the co-main event, and they allowed him to apologize to his fans, and then the promoter whispered something to him, and... My opponent that night said, you know what, they were going to give free tickets for the next show for any of his fans, like, uh, give them a credit. He goes, but if there's anyone in here that's over 205 pounds, that's a a professional fighter that I came here to fight tonight. Let's let's give the fans what they want to see. They don't allow that anymore. But uh, Iowa at the time didn't have an athletic commission that oversaw MMA, and... Uh, my friend looked at me, and I finished my beer. and that's I, badass, I, I stood man. up. <laughs> I stood up and raised my hand. And uh, so I went in there, and they asked, and I said, yeah, I'm a fighter, and I'm a heavyweight.
0: Let's did you? do this. Did they give you some clothes? Uh, or that, you just...
1: That's the worst part of the story, to be honest, because it was my fastest fight I've ever had. Uh, I knocked him out in 14 seconds. It <laughs> um, might have been 16. It was over or under 15 seconds by, by a second. And... He was a wrestler. I was a wrestler, so I knew he was going to shoot, so I just had to throw an uppercut uh, whenever he tried to shoot in, theoretically. And it worked. Uh, But (laughs) I go backstage. I have to borrow a pair of fight shorts. I might have shorts in my car or my truck, but I didn't have a mouthpiece, and I didn't have a cup. So I had to get a boil boil and bite mouthpiece that we used like a coffee uh, pot to try to try to mold it but it wasn't hot enough um and so i got a little bit of a bite and i knew that if if i got a good punch like my mouthpiece might fall out of my mouth and then we had to wait for some other bigger guys on the undercard um to get done finish finish fighting and i wore a three the the light heavyweight fight they fought three full rounds they were dripping sweat it was a decision And i had to borrow one of those guys <sighs> cup uh and jock oh. strap to put over my yeah, boxers. Yeah, I would have retired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess I wanted the money. I needed the money I think for rent. So, I uh I used that sweaty jock strap over my boxers. But still over it, was, your boxers. it was it was
0: disgusting. Oh god. Yeah, cups don't really work right anyways if you wear them over over the boxers. So uh, was it one of the greatest moments of your life when you like knocked the guy out and you're just like I, I think pinch I just hitter. wanted out of that cup. I wanted out of that sweaty <laughs> sweaty jock. But yeah, it was it was,
1: it was a cool moment because I had a bunch of friends there and none of them knew how to fight. And
0: I had two of them in my corner that night. <laughs>
1: and I was like, just give me water if it goes to the second Amazing.
0: round. Amazing. Yeah. It kind of speaks to, to the, like sometimes where preparation, when you know about things and then you get to prepare and prepare and prepare, which is great, but at the same time, what value there is when you can't do that. Mm. And it's just something's placed in front of you. You meet the moment. And how we're able to do that, you know, it's when there's no options to like get in your head about it or think about yeah. it or anything. It's just like you just, you step yeah. in. Yeah. You just set up. You just don't think about it. You just step in. That's what we're going to do in the ice bath after this, right? Yeah, you have an I ice mean, bath.
1: I want, you to get,
0: I want you to get in that flow state. I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll tell what we'll, do. we'll do some stuff. podcasting and then we'll do the ice bath. And we'll do at least five more minutes immediately after the ice bath. Of podcast, of podcast, okay. was, we'll So yeah. the audience can have a little yeah. bit of. Uh, Maybe we
1: record while we're in there. Oh, from the outside.
0: <laughs> yeah, we might not. We'll try. Just we might not use it. Yeah, yeah we'll I get think we don't have the
1: time to think about it because this is what I was saying about amateur fighters. It's really hard for someone to build their amateur record. I think it's easier nowadays, but there'd be people that think they want to be a fighter or think they want All to right. fight, and they might be training. I know a guy that was one of the best in the world in the gym. He had beaten UFC champions three out of five rounds, four out of five rounds, sometimes five out of five rounds in the gym. But then whenever the lights were on and the crowd was there and he's fighting a guy that's nowhere near who he's beating in the gym, he would almost be paralyzed with fear getting in there. And he would think and he would say out loud, he would voice, saying, um, <clears throat> you know, I've seen this guy's fights, and yeah, I can beat him here, here, and here, but if he just gets this, he's going to win. And I like, you can't be saying that backstage you can't be saying that in the build-up to the fight. I mean, it's good to know this guy can win in these areas. But if you're like giving yourself an out or giving him the the opportunity in your mind to beat you before you ever get in there, <clears throat> you gotta have that competitive edge where you believe in yourself.
0: Yeah, what's what's that like? Like what's the mental picture in your own head? Yeah. For me, and I, I don't want it to sound cocky or arrogant, but when
1: I know I've put in the work. Mm-hmm. Then I feel like I've earned the
0: right to face him and to win if I've done all the right things. I vibe that with music before. It's like if you yeah. rehearse, you feel like it's like you've been going to the gym in a mm-hmm. sense. And yeah, like, for sure. It's like, well, I, I know I've been doing that. Yeah. And that it feels it feels good. Like you feel yeah. like your muscles like at least I feel like I can run the race. Yeah, for sure. You know? And if you if you haven't done all the right things, now all of a sudden doubt can creep in.
1: Yeah. But well, it can it's over. gonna creep in. Yeah. So what do
0: you is it about well, pushing it out or is it more about allowing it in and
1: I think it's more about focusing on the right things. I, I, I normally push it out. Uh but I'm my coaches have said, and I'm very grateful, that they say that I might not be the strongest or or the most talented, but I want it the most. And so mentally before the fight, like I'm confident. I know his strengths and I've watched his strengths and his victories. More times than he has. Um, and, and more times his coaches have, more times than my my own coaches have trying to find his mm-hmm. his weaknesses. Um, and I prepare for his strengths. But whenever I go in there, I'm like, I've earned this, I want it more than he does, and I have more reasons. As I've grown older and I've started to fight for the forgotten I think it's it's the person with the most reasons that usually wins. Really? And Yeah, you you see in the Olympics the guys that break the new world record or um, whoever it is that breaks the world record. A lot of times it might be something that motivated them about family or country or uh, legacy or the community that they came from. You know, I came from the inner city, and I want the people in Ferguson, Missouri, to know they can do this too. You know, they can make it out uh, and that they can – be a voice for their, their community. Um, for me, when I win now, the last three fights or so, I've been able to donate and I've been able to know that another well's going to be drilled in a community that I've done the water walks and seen them without. Um, that's one thing that I would do to relate it to our well drilling teams. Every village that I've ever been to that we've drilled a water well First thing we do whenever we unload everything, or before we unload our well drilling equipment and walk it in there, hike it in, I'm always like, "Let's go on the water walk with the women and children." And maybe the seventh or eighth one, we were all tired. It was a long journey. I remember my well was going, "It's just going to be the same as as last time." Our t- our team and they're 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 like my heroes. What's a, what's a water walk? What a water mean, walk then? is. Oh, yeah, it's it's a good thing to explain. Oh, uh, the average woman in Africa or child that either can't go to work or can't go to school or just has to do the daily duties. Um, Normally it's a cultural thing that the men are, are doing a lot of uh, manual labor in the fields or, and so the wife might be taking care of the home or they're both at work and then they have to designate a child that can't go to school because now they got to do a six mile round trip walk to a mm-hmm. water source that might be clean but most likely not right and it's five gallons of a jerry can which is 20 liters which is 44 heavy. pounds yeah, yeah 44 super pounds. heavy and for some of these children or the, the women normally carry two at a time because you need more than five gallons
0: 88 to, pounds
1: yeah you need more than <laughs> five gallons whenever you're you're and sometimes it might be a smaller maybe they're carrying a. A five liter one and a two and a half, or sorry, five gallon one and a two and a half gallon, um, but still that's what six around sixty six pounds. Yeah, I mean, uh, and so we would go on these walks with them to their water source, and we would carry it back too, and we'd have them show us their water, so like their dirty water they're drinking from, so that I would be and our team would be reminded that this is their water now, so this is what we're fighting for: is clean water. And then on the tough days, whenever you want to quit or tap out, you're reminded of that walk. And like, it's going to be the same thing. I go, no, it's it's unique to this place. Like the trail's different, the water's different. Like, is this one more stagnant? Is this the dirtiest source we've seen? Or do they have it, you know, better where it's a, a, a spring box that they might be drinking from, which is like someone tried to filter a spring and it's, it's okay, but they're still probably getting contaminants in there and so i remember on the 13th or so water well we spent more than 3 weeks drilling a well i think it was closer to 4 weeks wow yeah manual dri- manual drilling we were real off the grid and wow
0: that's hard how deep are these wells um
1: 60 to 80 feet in the rainforest is kind of the sweet spot but you can get down to 150 feet with a hand pump um and then we use like we're hiking in single prong triple prong chisels rock breakers uh what else like we have the casing pipes we have the tripods the chains the ropes bags of cement that are 100 pounds uh bag we would load in if we didn't have a wheelbarrow that actually would go on the trails and up and down these things we would be hiking in bricks or uh and it would be 30 minutes off the roadside sometimes an hour um the most was two hours off so four hours round trip just to our truck to get off a one ton of well drilling equipment or and we've got 20 foot long six meter pipes that are either PVC or um kind of that galvanized steel so these these are manual wells a lot of them are we we have multiple options but when you can't drive in a truck
0: because it's in the rainforest you got to hike it in but for them it's a pump yeah um, so it's probably more mechanically sound as far as yeah, breakdowns. For sure, and and it's easily accessible to maintenance parts, yeah, and upkeep, and
1: it's not. I mean, solar is is a pretty good option there, um, but in the rainforest you got a canopy right. uh, to deal with, and so when we can do a mechanized rig, man, we we definitely drive in a truck and drill it. It's more expensive, yeah. and then. You have to make sure that there's a system in place where they have a, a deep relationship or a way to communicate with the the well drilling team, um, which is our guy like B-Tech, and he's transformed over 400 villages in Uganda, and yeah. he's got a whole team, and he's amazing. He's our fight for the forgotten team leader in Uganda.
0: So there's probably a lot of groundwater, I'd assume. Yeah. I mean, in my well in Utah, the power went out and the well stopped working. Mm-hmm. And that was just, just, just a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, it was raining because that's where the power went out. So I was gathering rainwater. It just made me think like, this is crazy. It's like, why is it there's at least on solar or something so the pump still works? Yeah. And there was no way to manually pump it. I was yeah. like, this is, this is no good. And see, so a lot of people from our kind of Western
1: mindset think it all needs to be mechanized, like the, the pumps and everything. Yeah. Because... Like well, they have to pump it themselves. Well, they used to have to walk six miles,
0: and now it takes them two minutes to fill oh, it's, up it's, five it's gallons. It's no problem. Yeah, yeah. you just, just won't have shower pressure, but you could if you pumped it into a tank and then yeah, yeah. gravity a lot of fed, times we have, we it's have no big, that's not that
1: big fed. a deal. Yeah, and we'll we'll have a little spigot that they can go fill up from. Yeah. Now we in Uganda we have thirty-two homes that we're building. Fifteen are completed, maybe twenty by now, uh, and we've got three wells out there. We're talking about setting up a rainwater. Collection too, uh, but they have they have uh, piped water in their homes now, wow. and they they haven't moved in yet. It's probably going to be more around first of the year. We have uh, three sustainable farms working out there. We're building a pharmacy and a clinic, and the thing about in Africa, I, I love a saying that they have. They will say to me, uh, "F F.A. Uh, is my name there, and F A O S O F A O S A. Efeosa. Yeah. Feosa means the man who loves us. And so I love that name. And then Mabutibang Boat is the big pygmy. So Say that again? Uh, Mabutibang <laughs> <And laughs> That means awesome. the big pygmy. Uh, and that's what all their neighbors and everyone there calls me. But the they'll say, Efe, you you Mazungus, which white guys or you Westerners, uh, you all have watches. But us Africans, we're the ones who have the time. And because they always see even me, they're thinking like, "Slow down, poly poly. I mean, slow down, slow down. You know, let's 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 stop. Let's eat. Let's enjoy time with each other. So it's a it's a good reminder to be here now, to be present. And I really appreciate that about them. But on that, I remember that that well was so hard to drill uh, in that like thirteenth village and. I snapped a picture over my shoulder. I'm sorry, this wasn't my 13th. This was our 35th well to complete because I'd come back home and gone back on a trip, and they'd already done two weeks, and this is two weeks of my trip now at the beginning to get this well completed. We, they had, we'd gotten in a collapsing zone. So basically what that means is if we drilled 60 feet deep, and at first you don't use casing pipes because you just have to pull that thing out of the earth after you're done, and... The, it was just collapsing on the inside of it and would go back up to like two feet deep after you get like uh. 60 feet of the way there. You're using these augers and you're, you're literally wrestling the earth. And I, I pummel and I've done Greco-Roman wrestling. This is the best workout you could do for that, at least on one side and then you switch sides. But they were ready to quit. And when on the day that, because we had to pick up and move like a football field away, you know, or maybe two or three uh, to try to get it in another spot. And they had already done that before I'd gotten there. So this is their third time to pick up a move. Ooh. And then all of a sudden we started getting to a sweet spot where everything started to go easy. And when we finished that well in the celebration in that village, and it was one of the dirtiest water sources that I've ever seen people drink from. I remember our well drillers, this is their 35th. It's my actual 14th to drill. Cause I drilled the first 13, went back and to see their joy, that's like a much deeper joy. For me, I've been to the Super Bowl, the World Series, NBA Finals, some of the biggest fights, packed arenas, and hear the cheers and the applause. And that's fun. It's a sporting event. But to hear the cheers of someone getting clean water for the first time, maybe a grandfather like or grandmother, seeing their grandkids for the first time water. period first yeah. time ever yeah
0: seeing water come out of a, a spout so know? for you you're saying that when it's something larger than yourself that helps actually motivate for more wins yeah because i mean that there's you think there's a connection to people who win more where it's more than just the me yeah maybe I, not but it seems you know, like I this, think, you're I, saying, absolutely i i for sure
1: once i found purpose I think in my first 12 fights um, or 13 fights, I would get my hand raised and I would literally think, is this it? Is this all? And I'm not like even all the wor- Yeah, all yeah, the work. Yeah, this and- is what all the work was for. Like get my hand raised and the crowd's still going. Yeah. And already in my mind, I would
0: think, hmm. <laughs> like, Well, that's it? that's kind of a spiritual you know revelation too it's sort of like any achievement you're like Mm. oh it's not the thing it's just sort of icing on the cake yeah and a lot of us keep chasing it anyway i kept chasing it for for at least five solid years and then it crashed and burned into addiction we think that's sort of actually like one of the reasons it's sort of like addiction is uh a diff like a different approach to try to find the meaning and the fulfillment
1: yeah, I, I that didn't fulfill me, so I found other things that would. And then, really, I think it was it was purpose. It was like I was fighting against people, but really, I was supposed to be fighting for
0: people. But you and, have been doing Fight for Forgotten for a bit. Yeah, and, ten years now. And you, I mean, I don't know if this is too personal, but you said that like it's, you still would struggle with like falling off the rails. Like, yeah,
1: that. I'm living in a sober living home now. Right. And uh, thanks for bringing that up because purpose for six years kept me solid. Right. So Um, what happened, uh, do you think? I think it was, I mean, this isn't to point out blame on anyone because it's my stuff, uh, but I was having, like, a failing marriage. um, And for me, I felt, and this is wrong logic because I got to just focus on me, but I couldn't help the person I wanted to help the most in a lot of ways, and she couldn't help the person she probably wanted to help in a lot of ways. And then... uh, then I started feeling like once I relapsed, I started to try to hide it. I mm. wouldn't because shame. now shame, mm. guilt, condemnation, like I'm my own worst critic, and now I have all the reasons to live for, uh, all the purpose, the organization. Now if anyone finds out, I'm gonna be cast right, out. Right, right. Cause I wanted to get rid of me too at that time. Um, I don't like who I am in addiction. And the, while that's healthy, I think I've come to a much healthier place lately. Um, especially with, uh, me having a great woman to my side, like, like, like you do. Uh, (laughs) she's, she, she talked to me about one thing where I said, I need to attack what's been attacking me. I need to beat this out of me, you know? And I think about it like training and stuff like that. And, I don't like it. Got to change it. And I've got to be aggressive with it. And maybe that's that kind of warrior fighter spirit in me. But Amy goes, that's never worked for you. Stop. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, you got to love yourself. And if you don't love that side of you, and now my sponsor, who's my boxing coach, says, you got to love that you're an addict. Because if you weren't, you wouldn't have to work for it harder. You wouldn't have to make these changes. You wouldn't have to better yourself. You wouldn't have to be more careful. Um, and you wouldn't be able to help people that are in the same thing, like what I was telling about Chris earlier. And and so for Amy, she told me about a book called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. I think his name's Kamal that wrote it. I've heard of it. And when she gave me the book, she said, read the title. And I said, love yourself <laughs> like your life depends on it. She goes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, why? And I was like, uh, and she goes, because it does. Mm-hmm. Because it does. And that's helped me a lot. You know, I'm a, I guess I'm a lover and a fighter because I really care about people. Um, but I wouldn't give myself the same love, ever allow myself to give myself the same love or grace that I would give to other people.
0: Like I would. But that's crazy in that some ways. Crazy. because It's like that dark thoughts song, loving your mm-hmm. dark thoughts. It's yeah. the same idea. of like pushing things away is sort of the substrate of what it means to be human. Like, it's sort of like we blow things up. That's our world right now. Like, that's how engines run. That's how all of our energy is made, It's explosions. Wow. And so we're always pushing. Yeah. And that's sort of like step one. And like, kind of, as we start to like realize the larger sense of what it means to be human, it's about kind of bringing things in or like holding the experience. It's yeah. like a parent, like a loving parent. So your dark thoughts, in a sense, pushing them away versus like, Oh, I'm just I'm just holding with that with love, and I it's like loving the imperfection. Yeah, and it seems like that's the same realization you're having about your addiction. I am
1: the this last relapse, which was more than four months ago now. I think um, I it was it was a short one, but it was one that like it went hard, it went fast. And it it was weird because, like, the stints of them would go from, like, a two-month period to a one-month period to a nine-day period to, like, a five-day period. But the intensity of those times Mm -hmm. was, uh, like, the five days was almost worse than the two months and or was. Where were you? Uh, I I went back on a trip to Oklahoma. Is that where it
0: happened? I have a vague memory. There's a connection to Oklahoma, the first story he told. Um, I've had a couple there because
1: I lived yeah. alone, and yeah. this one I went back and it was supposed to be a great trip and I had some great meetings set up and then all of a sudden I dipped out on them and uh and when I came home to Amy, it rightfully so uh I you know my stuff was packed, and she's like i I, I just can't I just can't you know she's got two girls. Um and I'd already set up a sober living home because I saw the intensity I saw that I dropped off the map from her and my responsibilities and the people that I love And so I'd already set up um, going to a sober living home here and really working on on me and loving me because I don't I don't want to put Amy through a cycle of this And honestly I guess the the good thing that happened is her and I have, more of an open, honest, trusting relationship than we ever have had. We've always had an incredible amount of love for each other, but I think she can speak to me more honestly than ever before, and I can speak to her more honestly than before, and we both really appreciate
0: that. The fire burns away the underbrush, Mm. but the big trees, the old growth still remains. It's like, yeah, you can see clearer in a way, and the strength didn't change those trees yeah you know but it's like all that stuff that was like the brush yeah burns it out i like that yeah so it's it's it really you know it does a service in a way Mm. to clearly yourself on your own path but like how it helps it to you grow and if you're stepping into like deeper forms your relationship i think you said this the other day it's like you're glad that that Mm. happened when it did because it's an illuminator Mm. right yeah absolutely that's a good point
1: because I mean, I can say that Amy told me she was grateful that this happened. And that sounds good, especially if I'm on a podcast. (laughs) But whenever I get to come to that point and say, I'm grateful for it too. Because now we have this depth that we wouldn't have had if we didn't go through the hard times. And if we didn't, if she didn't point out some of the things like, you're not loving yourself here. And now because of it, like I'm loving myself through this trial or addiction or trying to invite it in like uh, you used to try to cut that part off of me off and say I've just got to disconnect from that now I got to connect to it and see like oh I try to I try to fill void sometimes with with numbing or escaping or and and what's so crazy man for me mine would say uh, I'm just going to take a night off just a night off have no plan whatsoever for it to go five days or two months but uh in the wrestling world there's a thing called a reset weekend you told me about yeah. this yeah, yeah a, basically
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. how hard and fast yeah. far can you go yeah yeah in a very short amount of time and then get right back on the horse reset on yeah reset reset to
1: what <laughs> yes yeah. <Yeah, it's> like <laughs> <laughs> so anyways yeah other people could do that i guess and and i just never could and so there was something in me that was like oh yeah yeah and in, in AA and stuff, which works for a lot of people and doesn't for others, but they would say, you know, my brain's trying to kill me and make it look like, my, my brain's trying to trick me and kill me and make it look like an accident. And there's times that I could absolutely see that I was like living in delusion of, well, almost this mental obsession that there'll there'll be a time I can use like other people, use like a gentleman and just you know pick it up and put it down and uh, but I think loving that side of me that's like imperfect has started to help me help others in a greater way. Um, Amy reminded me yesterday that uh, Jim, my executive director of a Fight for the Forgotten who's like a second father to me, She, he said he's like a, when he's sober and he's loving the people around him, he's, he's great. But now that he's loving himself so that he can love the people around him even more, he said it was like an unstoppable force of good. Like those was
0: his words. Mm-hmm. And it's very, I'm very grateful to hear that. But I'm like, damn, that's what I want to be.
1: Is but I think you, but you are.
0: Good. And yeah. I think the recognition is that it's not that you become this person who loves themselves. It's like you already do love yourself. It's yeah. more recognition that you can love yourself and you could hate some of those aspects of that, that bender in a mm-hmm. sense or relapse. And it's more like that, like, no, I'm not erasing the fact that I find that repulsive. I'm loving even the feeling of repulsion. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm allowing that to be in there too, as opposed to pushing it away. Mm. And I mean, to me, that seems like that's kind of next level because yeah. it's always gonna, those feelings are gonna exist. Yeah. And it's more uh, saying like, you're here too. I'm not saying you have to be excommunicated, but it's just like, you know, that's not the whole truth. That's not yeah. all, what I, you're inside this space of love. That's the truth. And that's just something, that's a piece, little thing in there. It's a color that you paint with, but it's yeah. not everything, yeah. you know, and trying to say it's gone forever. it's never gonna happen not that the relapsing part I'm just saying mean like the feelings that that are the seeds of that I've sort of learned that there isn't any feeling that's final
1: if that makes sense. right everything moves yeah yeah um as as much as I'd want all the love to be final and it's there at all times or top of mind at the forefront I know that's always there but those feelings at least that I was meaning and pointing out like the feelings of depression the feelings or even a craving, like those those things aren't final, they're not always there, and if I can just weather those and not even weather embrace those, um, mm-hmm. welcome them, allow them, uh, remember that hey, I've overcome this before, i'm going to overcome it again. It's kind
0: of a bird top level view, bird's eye view yeah. It's kind of watch as Ram Dust would say like watching the show go by. Uh, it's sort of like you see it happening. It's okay, well, this scene's going to end. You know, I can, like, let that, as opposed to, like, I know in my mind, sometimes it'll attach onto it. And then I'm giving it more fuel. Yeah. And then it becomes, like, the whole show. And yeah. I'm, like, inside it. As opposed to, like, no, oh, that's going to pass.
1: You yeah. I, I, I had a conversation with Chris. Uh, there's this gentleman that uh, has come close to our nonprofit now. And so it's pretty amazing. I, I did the Joe Rogan podcast January 27th. That was my last time on there, and this guy Chris messaged me right after it. Well, it's nine fifty eight p.m. on January twenty seventh, the release, the same day as the release. And then right before, I, I was actually in this ice bath. You're about to get in, and yeah, we'll do that in a few minutes. I, I did a I did a IG live, and I got a comment, and a bunch of comments that said, "Go read this comment. Go read this comment." And I finally went up and and read it. And Chris had put on there that I was walking to the, on January 27th, I was walking to the Brooklyn Bridge to jump off. I got a notification on my phone and it was your new podcast with Joe. Because I decided to listen to like, get rid of the noise. And thank you for being so open and sharing your story of your suicide attempt. Because I decided not to jump. Um, It saved my life. I was like, whoa. Wow. Then I was up and on it. A month later, and this guy—oh, I was—I was working out with sixty dudes. I started walking out, and I heard footsteps running up on me. I stop, I turn, and I get su- a surprise hug. That's the sweatiest surprise hug I was ever given. Longest, called the Austin style hug. But it was this—this this guy from from New York. And I—all I hear was, "I'm the guy. I'm the guy." I said, "Hey, buddy, you got to help me out." What's that mean?
0: Yeah, I've been mugged where someone yeah, out yeah. from behind and be like, I don't know how I'd feel initially. Yeah, uh, I, I I turned
1: around and he front hugged me, but anyways, I I, he, I go, you're the guy. But what's that mean? He said the Brooklyn Bridge, and I looked in his eyes and he had tears welling up. And I just pulled him back in and gave him an even longer hug. And I was like, wow, bro. Um, we took a picture together, and the next day I went to a drug treatment center, a 90-day inpatient rehab, and I I shared my story, and I'm there with my boxing coach, my sponsor, and a sparring partner who's also in recovery that I spar with every Sunday, and during the Q&A, they said that they learned about, one guy says, we learned about vulnerability yesterday, and uh, today we learned about synchronicity. He goes, yesterday I got vulnerable and said, I want to be an MMA fighter, and today, So the synchronicity is you guys are sitting here. And he said that. And I go, well, wow, well, let me tell you about my yesterday. <laughs> and I told him about Chris's story. Well, 30 minutes before I got in there for the treatment center, I sent Chris the photo we took together. He asked me to take one of on my phone. It was a little better of a phone or camera. So I did. And I sent it to him. He goes, man, I love that we took that picture together. Thank you. He goes, don't think I'm crazy. I'm covering my teeth because I lost nine teeth when he got hit in the mouth with a baseball bat in Harlem. Oh. I was like, whoa. Oh, God. And I go, you got to tell awful. me a little more about this. He said he was homeless in Harlem. COVID happened. It hit New York real hard. He used to work on Wall Street.
0: had a bad Yeah,
1: used to work on Wall Street, had a bad breakup, relapsed. Uh, COVID shut down. He ended up couldn't pay rent, and he was homeless in Harlem. Brave soul. And they... I, I just got to go on the walk with him and we went to New York and he showed me the spot in the 125th street, like in Harlem, the spot, seven guys jumped the, the turn, t- turn tables, whatever you call them, turn, turn style, turn style, there you go, yeah. turn tables, what you do, two turn tables, two turn, table, uh, yeah. Uh, two turn yeah, two turn styles, and so they jumped that, they had a baseball bat, they took his money, he said, I gave him my money, please don't hurt me. And one of the guys said, wrong place, wrong time, wrong color. And hit him three or four times in the face with a bat. He was in ICU for like three to five days. Actually lost nine teeth and a bunch of others were damaged. Whoa. So he told me that. And I I shared at the treatment center that he he was worried about a smile. But, you know, a smile small potatoes. He's got breath in his lungs. He's got a beating heart in his chest. The videographer that was there for the treatment center all of a sudden, I, I go to my car after meeting the guys, shaking hands, and I hear footsteps running up on me again. And I turn around. He, he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he's breathing heavy. He's like, "I gotta tell you about my yesterday." And I said, "Sure. What's what's going on?" He goes, "I met a. I was hired yesterday by a man starting a charity for guys in recovery that need new smiles. He's a dentist. He's Austin's <laughs> best dentist. He started flipping through pictures of him on the magazine of yeah. like Austin's best dentist mm-hmm. and." he pulled up the google reviews the guy's got like 1500 five star reviews i'm like wow he goes can i call him can i can i tell him about chris i'm like yes absolutely so we were able to get him a minimum of a 60,000 brand new smile he spent 20 hours in the chair whoa we went to the workout on thursday this this men's workout at on it and this time we're at silker park I brought the dentist with me who's like an Ironman, like third place in the nation or something crazy, or at least some big national one. And I have Dr. Dave Frank at a Walden Den- Den- Dental here in Austin holding Chris's feet during the workout. They're doing push ups. He doesn't even know he's about to get a new smile. And uh, at the end, we all circled up. I spoke. I had Chris share a little bit vulnerably and then uh, show the community that, like, we 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 have this support system around us. There's like 60 dudes minimum that meet up every Thursday, work out to get together, and then we had Dr. Frank step up and he surprised Chris. And we're going to the go into the uh, dentist's office right now. Taking right now,
0: right now. We're. Going. I saw the picture uh, and it was incredible.
1: I it's mean, an incredible, incredible transformation. He had two front teeth and three bottom teeth. He must be over the moon. Yeah, I mean. Yesterday there was a girl at on it that I was able to wingman with them. and like they might they might go on a date here soon. Wow. And, uh yeah, they were at least gonna go on a hike and uh Amy called him handsome. Amy and her, her daughter Sydney was there, sixteen years old, and they were crying when they saw the transformation.
0: What a and, journey. Yeah. I mean, you have such a big heart, man. It's insane. It's like and I love that you're turning it a little bit more onto yourself too, because yeah. it's like you're a giver in such a way. It's like Thanks it just blows me away your ability to like bring in community and make things happen that you can't do alone
1: mm, for you know? sure.
0: and i always think in my head like well what can i do or oh i can't i can't do that i don't i mean, literally like i can't do that thing i'm thinking about yeah. but i never think about organizing larger groups yeah. like how do i connect to the person who can or or even just put it's like i don't know how it's going to happen but i'll i'll just say i want to be a part of helping make that happen yeah. What's what's funny is before Chris Chris ever got his teeth,
1: I went to his new smile. I call him Miracle Smile Chris now, and uh, I went to a sober living home. He moved here the day we hugged. He was a one month sober, and I was like two and a half three months sober. And I went there and we're hanging out. And he had told me how he moved here and he, you know, got. He said I was a hero of his. That's the word he used. I was like, man. Kick me off whatever pedestal you got me on because guess what? I'm in your sober living home, but you don't know I'm in a sober living home right now. And he's like, what? And I go, yeah, man, I'm just like you. And we got to love ourselves. And I gave him the book. And uh, Mm -hmm. anyways, I told him beforehand, I go, you know what I feel like we're going to do one day? He goes, what? He goes, this is just so surreal. You're in my home and you brought me food. And I was like, well, I I just can't wait till we're up in New York sometime. And we're walking the Brooklyn Bridge, and we're rewriting your story and rewriting my story, and we both have those similarities, and it's going to be healing for me, brother. Like uh, I got to tell him that during the Joe Rogan podcast, I had like this devil on my shoulder or whatever insecurities that was saying, "Stop sharing, don't share." That's a very uh, vulnerable one. Yeah, the last one. Yeah, yeah, it was it was hard. It, it you know it wasn't perfect before we got in there. That someone brought in like kind of COVID and and exposed us. And Joe's like sending his wife to go take this guy care package. Oh, and, um, And there's just like some distractions. We got started two hours late, even though we were both there early. And I'd gone there a month before saying, I'm going to share this. And I told Joe, I got a story I've never shared before. And I want to do it because I think it's going to help some people. And then when we're in it, I was like beating around the bush and I wasn't <laughs> doing it. And I was like, abort mission, stop, pump the brakes. You're going to look weak. People are going to not donate joe's a friend he's a donor uh other donors are gonna learn and say they want their money back or you know just all these things yeah. and a thought in my mind or soul came forward and was like if it just helps one person it's worth it so at
0: chris's house i got to tell him "Bro, you're you're my one person yeah that's a great like you know north star yeah I use that too sometimes. Like, because it's true. Yeah. If you can, if you find that connection, it's enough. More yeah. than enough. Yeah. Uh, so whenever we we're on the bridge, this last time, we did that, we we
1: went and saw where he was in the ICU. We went to the subway station. We drove down the walk because he walked 101 blocks to the Brooklyn Bridge that day. Um, and then we got out and we we walked the bridge and we got to the spot where there's like the, there's these wooden planks and then there's this metal beam that takes you over to where the water is and you're above all the cars. And he showed me that spot and he was his palms were sweating, he was nauseous, he was dizzy, his legs were shaky. Yeah. And he goes, "This is just heavy. It's really heavy." I'm like, "Man, take take your time." You know. But we were there, and then a guy walked up on us named Corbin who used to be workout partners, or I trained a little bit with this Jocko, if you ever heard of him. And uh, Uh so like the Navy SEAL guy. Yeah. And he stops me while the cameras are on us, which was great. I mean, waited to the side for a little bit. And he goes, hey guys, I gotta go. My friend's already ahead. But I just wanted to step in and say, your last Joe Rogan podcast impacted me deeply when I was going through addiction and I was thinking about suicide.
0: I was like, "What?" Like, and Chris is like, "That's my story." I go, like, "That's my
1: story." It's and the vulnerability. I,
0: yeah. I mean, yes, you, that was a very, very vulnerable podcast, yeah. and I think people, especially when they see someone like you that's a fighter, and you're sharing such vulnerable things, and feeling like in that voice in your head that says, "I'm going to look weak," mm-hmm. and it's like, "Yeah, it is a feeling you're going to have," and that's beautiful. You like, I'm going to still share this story, and like. We're all human beings. Like we all are, scared about feeling weak and feeling overwhelmed and falling off the edges of yeah. things, jumping off our whatever our bridges, if not a literal bridge. Mm. And so wow. I thank you for sharing those stories. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. Well, thank you for that. the 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 part I was
1: most excited about was a moment came where Chris said, "I I can't believe this that we're here that Corbin just." stopped us and uh told us his story and uh that that i was listening to you nine months ago and my his ears are still red from where he listens has earbuds and he listens to podcasts so much he's got like red insides of his ears he goes i i was listening to this podcast and now you're on here with me i go stop say i can believe it like and Amy gave me that reframe and was like, no, stop saying you can't believe it. Say I accept can. the
0: gifts. Accept yeah. the gifts.
1: I love that. Yeah. And I go, bro, say I can believe it. Because this, he said he felt like a hundred pound uh, bag of bricks fell off his shoulders. Yeah. And that he's never felt lighter in his life. Still on the bridge. And I go, bro, this is what healing feels like. So what it looks like, brother. Like we're, 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 we came back here because we don't want to have this we want to replace this it's a pattern interrupt instead of thinking of the brooklyn bridge is terrible and you hate it now you can say it's part of my story and i love rewrite it rewrite
0: the trauma yeah yeah well i have a phrase that i, I mantra for myself that's i accept the love holding me hmm. and it's the same idea it's like yeah. accepting sort of what is as opposed to being afraid of all the things that maybe aren't that are just in your head yeah. and sort of like that's the, the the gift um maybe maybe a
1: last word or something for me is for for the listener if they're in a dark place uh invite that love in the love holding you accept that love that's holding you but also give yourself the gift in this man's uh, uh chaotic times meditation ah. i had a i had a friend uh in january january 1st was his January 2nd was his funeral. Uh, he passed. He actually died by suicide. Yeah, I four, remember this. Yeah. Left four sons behind, 12, 14, 18, 21, and his wife, Gina. And we played Chaotic Times for him.
0: The meditation for medita- Chaotic Times. Me- med- yeah.
1: Meditation for meditation. Chaotic Times, yeah. 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 Meditation for Chaotic
0: Times, As how you say it? Just I've if people it. want to find yeah, it. Yeah, 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 for sure.
1: <laughs> Me- meditation for Chaotic Times. A guided meditation from you, and it's been so beautiful. I've played that for Chris. Oh, cool! I played that for them. I've played it for Amy. I've played it for me, and that thing has been a real gift. I think you mentioned something similar to accepting the love that holds us.
0: Yeah, and that's beautiful because that was really just me talking to myself at the like the first week of the pandemic, like literally just grabbing a mic and doing a meditation for myself, mm. and then not thinking twice about it, put it out within a week or something, which is extremely fast. For, yeah. I just had it mastered and put it out. Yeah. And as I'd never put out a meditation on Spotify, it's like, I don't even know if they're gonna kick this off. You know? But it's great to hear that, like, because there's, there's something universal. Mm. you know, the, the solace that I'm needing here is the same solace we all need to hear as human beings. And yeah. so it's a great reminder of all the infinite flavors and colors that comes in. Yeah. We can give it to each other in all these different ways, like your story on that podcast, to a meditation like this, to just even the way you like look at someone, you know, you might think it's nothing, but it's it's the same like substrate of energy that is the gift they need because it's echoing that. It's another reflection of that same gift. Yeah. And we can do it in all these ways. And it might you were thinking you were weak in that moment, but yeah. it's like it's saving a life, you yeah. know. Magic's happened. Exactly.
1: Um, miracle. Like we, we put us, we got to put seal the deal on the miracle on the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> Same place. He's going to jump off. No, he's jumping into a new life with a new smile, new hope. It's been great, man, and I, I think that Chris is even starting to help me. He he listens to podcasts all the time. He says he's listened to every single one of the Joe Rogan episodes.
0: Everyone, know, that's that's like a certain club. Yeah, it's like yeah hiking yeah. all the peaks in uh-huh. Colorado. Or yeah, like. you're right.
1: So he he started sending me like some of his favorite timestamps for clips on my show. Wow, um, overcome with Justin, I go, dude, you can start doing this for me because yeah, I need right. to get some of those clips because I've yeah. I've been getting one. Maybe, and uh, we're going to start getting him access to, to the That's podcast cool. early, and he's going to start helping my
0: show. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, so I'm pumped. Thank you, man. Yeah. it has been fun. So um, so is this going to be like some revelatory experience where uh, we get in this ice bath? and We'll turn on a meditation for chaotic times. <laughs> I'm not going to last the full 15 minutes. There's <laughs> That's no true. way. It's true. We'll, we'll get to the I am strength, I am
1: fortitude. <laughs> uh, and no, I think it's going to be great for you, man. Uh, it's not going to last that long. And you'll be, it'll be a bone chilling cold afterwards for two or three minutes. And then you'll get this, this lightness. Well, I I brought two guys, three guys from my sober living home here. And we, we put them in the ice for three minutes each. So they did it. You can do it too. Um, But anyways, they, they left in the same car and they, they made me a, either a video or sent me a voice, one of those voice texts that disappears. And they were laughing and giggling like, I don't know, high school girls or something where uh, it was just so fun to hear that uplifting spirit from one of the guys in the car that I hadn't heard that kind of laughter from.
0: Well, I hope I turn into a giggling schoolgirl. There you go. That's my goal.
1: Rada's going to like that. All right, Matt. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, brother. Appreciate it.